0: Lydia Christiansen, Anson, and we're here to share the secrets of sustainable small-batch wool straight from our mill on Whitby Island, Abundant Earth Fiber. Thanks for listening in. This is episode two, and it's about understanding wool quality. In this episode, we're going to learn the top three questions that people ask about their wool. We'll listen to a candid conversation with a local shepherdess about skirting, and we'll discover two fantastic Pacific Northwest sheep breeds. Let's dive right in by revealing the top three questions that people ask us about their wool. I get these questions all the time from people who raise wool or stash wool, farmers, fiber artists, and also friends of farmers and fiber artists. Here's what they ask. Number one, what do I have? Number two, what is it worth? And number three, what can I do with it? These are excellent questions, but I'm afraid there isn't a straightforward answer to any of them. I mean, what you have and what it's worth is always relative to who's around you and how bad they want what you have. Now, it's my belief that in order to understand wool quality, you have to start with an awareness of the diversity that's out there. Here's a flash primer on sheep. All domesticated sheep in the world are believed to be descended from the mouflon wild sheep. There's records of Mesopotamian sheep being traded for meat, milk, and pelts dating back to 11,000 BC. It's believed that those sheep were domesticated into the more than 1,000 species of, of sheep worldwide today. Humans and sheep have a long-standing relationship. Wool has always been here, but our eyes may not have been trained to see it in the modern context. For our family, even though we don't have a farm or tend sheep, Wool is an inseparable part of our lifestyle. When my son was four years old, I took him to his cousins to play for the day. And when I came back to pick him up, he ran at me shouting, Mom, Mom, I ate wool! At four years old, he was more familiar with the look and feel of wool than with cotton candy. <laughs> Honestly, I feel relatively new to wool myself. I mean, I only started studying it, albeit quite intensely, about 11 years ago. Many of the knitters that I know and love have been knitting way longer than that. But I do remember the first time I encountered a bag of raw wool, and it was back in high school. During high school, I worked part-time for a local produce farm that happened to also have a petting zoo. Well, I happened to be working one day when the sheep had just been shorn, and I watched the owner of the farm dragging two full bags of wool out to the trash. My instincts kicked in, and I stopped her and I said, Wait, wait, there's got to be some value in that. Before you throw it away, let's just see if there's anything we can do with it. Well, the bags went to the garage. I moved on. Nothing ever came of them. I wonder still to this day if they're still in there. I don't know what happened to them, if anything, but I remember that instinctive feeling, don't throw it away. Now, let's fast forward to just a couple of days ago. We were getting ready to close up the shop here at the mill, and a neighboring farmer drove up with 18 wet Romney fleeces in the trunk of her car. In a heartbeat, we'd set up a portable skirting table right there in the parking lot, and we got to work. Now, wool is supposed to be shorn dry, so you don't run into this problem. But if it does happen to be shorn wet, you want to make sure you either dry it out quickly or get it into processing fast so it doesn't mildew. Luckily, we had room on our dry racks. We were able to get that wool dried out. It turns out to be lovely fleeces, and I look forward to doing something with that wool. Now, no matter who you are or what your level of experience is with wool, the first step to take when you encounter a bag of wool is to decipher whether the quality of what you have is worth the cost of labor that's about to go into it. With so many different breeds of sheep out there, it's all useful in one way or another. It's the processing and choosing what it will become that takes the most time. No matter whether you do the work yourself or you pay somebody else to do it, it will cost time and there's no greater investment That we can make in this life than our time. A poor quality fleece is going to cost more in labor and the finished work isn't going to look as good or feel as good as a better quality fleece. It's the same with cooking, right? If you use good ingredients, your work will shine. Judging the quality of a fleece will help you determine how much time is worth investing into it. Now, time is a funny investment because I'm not just talking about money and what the financial return will be for your time. There's a lot of different returns that we get from our investments of time. When you plant a vegetable garden, you get more out of it than just the salad. You get the warmth of the sun, the satisfaction of hard work, even a sense of community when the tomatoes boom and there's more than enough to go around. My point is, with wool, you have endless possibilities and there is more than enough to go around. I recommend you ask yourself these two questions before you start down any particular path. First, how much time do you want this thing to take up in your life? And second, what do you want that investment of time to give back to you? Every individual fleece Has a unique story to tell. Even a gnarly fleece that isn't worth a minute of your time skirting or processing can have some value. Did you know that if you soak raw wool in plain water for 24 hours, the wastewater makes a divine plant food? I've used it myself in my own garden, and let me tell you, my flowers and my herbs love it. Wool has so many uses. You just have to be creative about what the right uses are for you. Now, just a side note on those gnarly fleeces that you're wondering how to get rid of. Um, wool itself takes a really long time to compost. It can be done, but I don't recommend it. Um, it tends to pile up and get a little moldy. And also, although wool is a great has great insulating properties, A dirty fleece left alone can attract mice and insects. So maybe that's just something to think about when you're deciding how to get rid of those fleeces that you don't want to put your time into. Every fleece has a unique story. The way to answer your own questions about wool is to start learning how to read a fleece. I'd really like to show you how this is done. I've prepared a video tutorial that's chock full of information. And if you watch the video, you'll see that I use two local fleeces for comparison. One is an East Frisian from Glendale Shepherd, which is a sheep dairy just up the road from us. And the other is a Rommeldale, which was raised on a family farm in Oregon. Okay, remember those two breeds. I'll come back to them in a little bit. East Frisian and Rommeldale. Okay, now, if you're a farmer, the ideal time and place to look at your wool is at the skirting table okay now if you're not a farmer what's skirting well skirting is the task that usually happens immediately after wool is shorn from the animal it's when a fleece is laid out flat with the tips up on a slatted or mesh or partially open surface so that any little bits of wool or second cuts can fall out from underneath when a fleece comes off the animal it's usually in one large piece and it gets thrown over the skirting table um, so that it can just open wide and flat so you can see the whole fleece all at once. It's a lot like throwing a duvet cover over a queen-size bed. While the wool is up there on the skirting table, many hands work through the wool to pull out undesirable portions of the fleece, sticks, matted sections of fiber, or what have you. Anything basically that won't wash out or that might be detrimental to the finished quality of anything made with the fiber. So that's the most efficient time to determine the quality of the wool while you're inspecting it. The act of skirting engages all your senses, and the wool is as fresh as it will ever be. Naturally, the more experience you have with skirting, the faster you can work through your clip. For non-farmers out there, the term clip refers to all the wool that comes off of a flock collectively on shearing day. And also, shearing is exactly like getting a peach fuzz haircut. It's a necessary part of caring for domesticated sheep. It does not harm or hurt them. My friend Sarah Pope is a shepherdess up in the San Juan Islands. She recently came to the mill and I had the opportunity to look through her clip with her. Sarah raises North Country Cheviot and Blue Face Luster Cross. She's a knit designer, a mother, a shepherdess, and as well, a deep well of information about the historical context of wool, yarn, and knitting in our region. She is one of the most elegant badasses I have ever met in the yarn world. I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know her on Instagram or on Ravelry, where she can be found as Whistling Girl Knits. Now, Sarah and I talked about a lot of things while we looked at her fleece on my skirting table. But for this episode, I'd like to share with you one clip of a candid conversation we had about skirting. Take a listen.
1: I know, it was kind of cute, huh? Yeah. um, This is really good length, too, better than what we saw last time. Yeah, no, this is... And I, I I tried to be pretty careful to skirt off anything that wasn't you long enough. You've
0: done a lot of skirting because I I, have there's, done. like, nothing here to hours skirt.
1: Hours and hours of skirting. So many hours. Why? Why? Yeah. I guess because I don't know what I'm doing yet, and so I'm <laughs> erring on the side of trying to send you the best stuff that I can.
0: <laughs> um... I, I I and I appreciate that. <laughs> but I also question if that time is going to, like, return to What is that oh, time no. going to return to you? My husband
1: is always like, this doesn't scale. You can't spend <laughs> this time. Like, how are we going to do this when we have twice as many sheep? And I'm like, I know, but I'm learning. And yeah, I do you're I learning. And, and I think that's what know. the value
0: is coming back to you now. In those hours that you spent with it, mm-hmm. you've, you've gained some knowledge. It sounds like you still have some questions you're unsure about um Tell me if this is true. uh When you were skirting, you weren't sure how much or how little. How aggressive? How aggressive? To skirt, Most people have that, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost an anxiety over a Ooh. question. And you, know? you look
1: at this thing, and it's been on an animal for twelve months, and it's full of all kinds of nameless gunge. And oh, look how you like—you're the one that likes to scratch under the tree and get your fleece full of lichen and you're the one that's always first in line for <laughs> breakfast and boy does it look like it in your fleece I, and I think the best you know way... you get sort of self-conscious about your sheep and you're like oh my gosh you dirty old ladies what are you doing out there in the pasture <laughs>
0: uh each fleece tells those stories and you see it coming back in the wool and mm-hmm. and I find that so interesting especially as somebody who doesn't know the animals personally when I look at the fleece I get all kinds of like, oh, I know I, what you've been into.
1: Well, and I think I think of it as my report card as a shepherd there. also when I get to look at the fleece and I get to see, is it strong? Mm-hmm. Is this animal healthy? Does she have skin problems? Because the nutritional balance is off in some way. Like, this is when I really find out how I did over the past year. Um, so oh, that's a great way to look at it. I like an, that. It's very important to me to spend some time with these you you are doing and know who's doing well and think about work you know what patterns do i see generationally do i like the mother's fleece and does she throw consistent lambs that have the same qualities like do i want to keep her in my breeding program and you know that that stuff i don't know i learn i learn a lot from spending that time with the fleeces so i don't think it's wasted no yeah (laughs) but i would love to that's your answer to your husband over the next few years and you will you will that's yeah. your answer
0: to your husband. You're yeah. learning, and you're yeah. you're getting report cards, and yeah, um, and he knows that. This is exceptionally clean. I don't as as at my mill. every every meal is different, but I don't expect things to come to me this clean. Okay. Um. Not that, not that I. I mean, I appreciate it. this is less work for me, but I don't expect most people to have gone to this, or to to know, you know. Or to know how to go to this level of, of clean. I mean, there's there's I'll nothing here to like pull out. <laughs> this is really clean. Um, normally when I'm skirting, I'm pulling out sticks and briars or patches of matted fiber. There's none no, of that. there's in not here. gonna be
1: briars or sticks, I yeah. promise.
0: This is really gorgeous. And the last three that we did that are sitting right. All right, now I'd like to tell you a little bit about the two sheep breeds that I mentioned earlier, East Frisian and Rommeldale, that you'll be hearing about in my video tutorial on wool quality. East Frisian sheep are among the most productive sheep breeds in the world for dairy. Sheep are still tiny compared to cows, and the sheep dairy industry in the United States and Canada is extremely young. It got its start in the mid-1990s. East Frisian originate from Germany and surrounding regions in the UK where they've had a lot more time to develop the sheep dairy industry. American sheep dairies today face the same dilemma that many artisans face. Excelling in your craft is not enough to stay afloat when there are imported competitors with significantly lower prices on the shelves everywhere. Now, if you haven't tried sheep cheese or yogurt, it is worth it. It's incredible. It's not as strong as goat cheese, but it seems more robust than cheese from cow's milk. The mild nuance and extraordinary creaminess to sheep cheese and yogurt is exquisite. I highly recommend you Google sheep dairies in your area and go out for a taste. If at all possible, buy direct from these farms because in small business, every dollar helps. Because dairy is the primary purpose for the East Frisian breed, the wool can sometimes be overlooked in breeding programs. Which means, as somebody who's looking for wool, if you're looking at an East Frisian flock, you can expect to see a wide range of attributes flock to flock or fleece to fleece. The wool will either be white or black, and it can be as fine as 24 microns. I usually see closer. To upper 20s and lower 30s, but it's often described as a medium fine hand. The natural black wool is actually a range of very dark brown to true black. Now, Glendale Shepherd is the sheep dairy here on Whidbey where we get our wool for our signature blend roving. We take it raw, we scour it, and I actually dye it before processing. So you end up with a subtle heathering in the roving. I'll leave all the information for Glendale Shepherd and our signature blend roving in the uh, show notes if you'd like to take a look. All right, let's take a quick look at Rommeldale. This breed is really interesting to me. If you think your family history is a mess, this might make you feel good. The Rommeldale history is not a straight line, but it is quite interesting. Back in the early 1900s, Mr. A Mr. A.T. Spencer out of California was breeding a uh, Rambouillet. He purchased some New Zealand Romney rams and bred them to his Rambouillet ewes. And boom, there you go. That's the Rommeldale, the classic Rommeldale breed was born. It's a blend of Rambouillet and Romney. Now, that was around 1915. Rommeldales did quite well commercially But as many breeders know, even today, you can't sell colored wool to large mills. They only want white. Colored fibers mess with the consistency of a finished product, and when you're working in large scale, it's really hard to be flexible on that issue. So, colored lambs were not bred, and Rommeldales were kept all white. Until the 1960s, when Glenn Eidman's Rommeldale ewes threw two badger-faced lambs, one boy and one girl. He kept them, he was fascinated by them, and he altered his breeding program to focus on the natural colors and the fineness of the wool that inspired him from those two lambs. Instead of selling to industrial mills, he started focusing on selling to hand spinners who loved the natural variegation. And boom, that is the California Variegated Mutants, or CVMs, as he called them. So technically, CVMs came out of the Rommeldale breed, but came to be known as a separate breed. So here's the confusion. Are Rommeldale CVMs? Are CVMs Rommeldales? When is a Rommeldale not a CVM, or is a CVM never a Rommeldale? Neither breeds had active breeding associations to clarify these things. And eventually, both types of sheep began to dwindle in number. That's when the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy stepped in. And in effort to protect and preserve, these guys helped identify a registry that includes three classifications. So today's classifications are a white Rommeldale, a natural colored Rommeldale, or a CVM Rommeldale. Okay, a white Rommeldale, it's solid white. A natural colored Rommeldale is solid color. And a CVM Rommeldale, like those first lambs uh, born at Glen Eidman's flock, are recognized by their badger-faced markings instead of being a solid color. So there you have it. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> Rommeldale wool is soft. It's high crimp wool and it's just luscious to work with. The natural colors that have been preserved through the CVM line are gorgeous and it's just hard not to love a Rommeldale fleece. It has all the things that we love about a good, fine wool breed. Side note, you can read the full story about Rommeldale and more stats on the wool production in the Fleece and Fiber Sourcebook starting on page 296. Also, our video on wool quality will give you a close up look at both the East Frisian and Rommeldale fleeces. It's a whopping 20 minutes packed with pro tips for understanding wool quality, and there's a lot of information in there that we haven't covered here, so please go check it out. Now, I want to ask you a question. It might be a hard question, but I'm going to ask it. This is a moment of truth. How many of you out there right now? have raw wool stashed in your closet, in your garage, your barn? And how many of you felt a twinge of anxiety when I asked that question? (laughs) People who stash wool tend to feel a strong connection with the raw material. It's common to love the material and at the same time not really know what to do with it. I get it. I love wool. I get it. I'm on your side. And hey, I want to help you do something with that wool. So if you're up for a little homework, I'm going to walk you through a few steps that will help you get started with that raw fleece in your closet. And don't worry, this is going to be simple. All you need to do is go find eight ounces of raw wool. That's usually about two generous handfuls. If you don't want to measure it or be precise, that's fine don't go crazy either. Don't go unpacking mounds and mounds of wool. If you do have or end up buying a whole fleece or more, just take out eight ounces of it. We're going to use this for a project um, in the future. And if you want to play along, but you don't have any wool hiding in your closet, make an adventure out of it and go find some. Reach out to a local farm. Visit a fiber festival. You can even check out our website if you'd like to purchase some of my favorite raw fleece from some of our local farms. Or ask a weaver. Here's a side note all weavers knit, but not all knitters weave. But nine out of 10 weavers either have or immediately know where to find raw wool. I dare you to prove me wrong on that, but factually, that statement has absolutely no statistical value whatsoever, besides my own subjective observations. So you probably shouldn't quote me on that, but still, there does seem to be a trend. Okay, so you've got eight ounces of wool. Next, find out everything you can about it. What is the breed? What's the farm it came from? What types of projects have people made with that type of wool? Anything at all that intrigues you is a good question to ask about your wool. And if the only information you can find comes through your own fingertips, then use them. Pick through the fiber, feel it, get to know what makes that eight ounces special. Watch my wool quality tutorial and follow my instructions for testing length, strength, cleanliness, and micron. Note your observations and then listen in to the next episode because I'll be picking up where we're leaving off right now. The next episode of Modern Wool is all about scouring, which is washing raw wool, and I'll be giving you the information you need to take your 8 ounces of wool to the next step. i got to give you a warning though, please beware, there are a lot of bad instructions for scouring wool on the internet. Now there's good advice too, but they're all mixed up together, and unfortunately I have tried a lot of them. Please. I can save you a lot of time and trouble. Let me tell you from experience what will work and what won't work, and by the end of our next episode, you'll know how to scour your own 8 ounces of raw wool effectively. And it won't be a big hassle either. We'll even pick up some more of my conversation with Sarah Pope in which we discuss the cold washing, also known as the fermented suant method. I'm excited to share that with you. Wow. This has been a lot of information. I really hope you've learned something useful in this episode. And if you did, please pass it on. Tell everyone. Help us share the secrets of sustainable small batch wool. You've been listening to the Modern Wool Podcast brought to you by Abundant Earth Fiber. I'm Lydia Christiansen. Thanks so much for listening.